Hi, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey. Each week, I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful, how they developed those skills, and their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Come learn what skills help you live your best life. This week, I'm joined by Sharon Liu. Sharon, thank you so much for being here. Thanks really for having me. To have you on. Yeah. And it looks so much sunnier there than it is right here right now. Um, <laughs> so I'm a little jealous. Well, the sun comes with like 90 to 100 degrees of weather. So I don't know if it just ends up balancing out. <laughs> true, true. And it is a hot summer. Well, you guys, let me do a little introduction for Sharon. Um, Sharon is the senior policy advisor of the higher education of higher education innovation at the U.S. Department of Education. She leads the Office of Educational Technologies post-secondary education innovation initiatives that explore the complex ecosystem of lifelong, life-wide post-secondary learning and the opportunities technology provides to broaden across to education for all learners. Most recently, these initiatives focus on open education, credential interoperability, and the Education Blockchains Initiative. Sharon also works in offices across the government on projects that showcase promising practices in digital workforce development and building capacity for emerging technologies. Prior to joining OET, Sharon oversaw the design and implementation of the Department of Labor's $2 billion I say TACT grant program, but for those of you that are Perfect. not familiar, it's Trade Adjustment Assistance Community College and Career Training. And I don't actually think I ever even knew what that acronym fully stood for, by the way. <laughs> no, it's better that way. <laughs> but it was the largest federal investment in post-secondary innovation and systematic infrastructure change. Um, and I, from what I understand, you have been working in government for, is it, it over 10 years now, right, Sharon? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, that's, I'm that's, a bureaucrat. I was going to say that's pretty unusual, right? <laughs> yes. Amazing. Well, and Sharon also is an aspiring park ranger. Um, for all of you that don't even know what she's wearing on her shirt right now, um, please explain Sharon because we just talked about this. <laughs> well, I wanted to wear, thanks for letting me wear this. This is my junior ranger badge. This is from 2016 when they were having their 100 year anniversary. And so if anyone has kids, so I do not have kids, but the Junior Ranger program is one of the best educational programs that the National Park Service runs. And essentially they have booklets at all of the national parks. And what you do is you take the booklet from the ranger and you do all the activities. So you learn about nature and animals and preserving the ecosystem and the environment, native cultures. There's a lot of work that's involved. Um, and then you have to, to like swear a little oath to protect nature. Oh, wow. um, they let you wear the hat for a photo and they give you this little badge, right? And so I love collecting these and no one um, takes me seriously initially because they're actually looking for my kids when I ask for the junior ranger book. <laughs> um, and then they always like impose extra rules. Like I think if you're like zero to, or if you're like three to five, you only have to do like, like eight out of the 10 activities. They're always like, you have to do the whole book, right? And I'm like, fine, right. I'll do the whole book. Um, and so I collect a lot of these. I have a spreadsheet. Have? Um, I, you know, I don't know the exact number. I think I have um, about like 14 of them. That's um, probably more. 
but I actually, so this is like, I'm not going to mess up the internet connection here, but I have a spreadsheet where I tally all the parks I've been to with like all the ones where I have ranger badges and the date that I got them. So that's um, amazing. And do you have a but, list of like the ones that are on, that are like next to go to? Yes. I mean, obviously global pandemic has kind of messed up my plans for travel this year, but um, I really enjoy doing these activities and um, I, I like to show people this because this is like one of my, um, I think this is one of the great sadnesses in my life is that of all of the places that I have ever applied to jobs at, the National Park Service has rejected me the most times out of anybody. Um, <laughs> but I keep trying because I think it would be super fun to be a park ranger. And so whenever I go to a park, I ask park ranger, well, like, how did you get your job? Like, what is it that you do? How do I get your job? And it's, and it's really hard. And so I apply and I get rejected mm -hmm. because on the list of like knowledge, skills and abilities, I don't uh -huh. really have them. But like what I want someone to do, and this is a challenge to all the badge designers and like credentialing platforms is yes. I want you to help me show my skills, right? Because yes. I do all these booklets. I know a lot about indigenous peoples and, and leafs and animals, but like none of that comes across to my LinkedIn profile because it all just shows things no. like she was an analyst and right. she writes regulations. Like who needs that in a park? Like nobody, but like I have so many of these. You're like, so, I've done the whole booklet. Come on. Every time, every time I do the whole booklet. Um, so hopefully one of your listeners will like make me a way to like actually define my skills so that I can actually find my dream job. Yes. And obviously something that we're working on. I mean, if the federal government can say that they're hiring based on skills, mm -hmm. I feel like the parks can make that change too. And it just sounds super fun. I mean, I'm, I, I do have kids and I'm thinking that, oh my gosh, my kids would love to do something like that, especially my oldest. So I'm just really <laughs> glad to know about this. And I love like you're beaming. So this is like, it's so nice <laughs> to hear this wonderful story. Well, and, well, and you have I, a dog because they have these for dogs yes, too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a dog, but our dog is not a super like social dog. It's more of a, I like my space and no other people and no dogs. Okay. <laughs> so maybe better to take my kids. Okay. <laughs> um, but Sharon, I mean, this is great because I, what I wanted to jump into first, which now we've learned a little bit about you is sort of what led you into this work. And obviously there's this huge passion around determining like the skills that you've gained um, in all of these opportunities and how to portray those. So I feel like that's probably got to be some of it, but I'd love to hear more about your story. All of this time you've spent um, in the government space, but also in the space of sort of like building out your career. Um, so the, the thing is that the funny thing is that I work on a lot of projects that have the word career pathways in them, mm -hmm. but honestly really dislike that term because I'm actually not a person that has a very linear career path. Um, so whenever people like say things like, well, what do you want to be in five years? I'm like, huh, I don't know. Because like five years ago, would I have thought that I'm still here or even 10 years ago? Probably not. Um, so I started off, like I studied molecular genetics, okay. um, in school. Nice. And then I then went on to study econ. And so not at all education policy um, or public administration or anything like that. Um, but I was interested and but a lot of the work that I did work focused on like cleaning data sets around like, you know, various different things. So when mm -hmm. I was studying molecular biology, it was like genetics data. And then when I was in econ, it was like development indicators and things like that. Um, and I needed a job. So I got a job doing data at the right. Department of Labor. So that that is the way that I got into government through like the USA jobs website, which I know is like really? pretty yes. weird, but like it actually works. Cause I have a job. Um, That's amazing. 
That's really. So good I had a number of. Yes. It's still around too. <laughs> it is still around, and people are working on it um, to, you know, try to improve the way that government does hiring. Um, yeah. But it is a really hard process. Um, I think everyone wants that to be better. Um, there was an executive order recently too about how government should start thinking about skills-based hiring, which is also really encouraging. Yes. Um, we just have there's a lot of rules that we have to work around. Um, probably not more or less than what everyone else deals with about labor and fairness um, and competition and all of that. So it does tend to take a little bit of time. Um, but my first job was um, involved data and looking at data and writing reports about it. Um, and then, um, you know, in 2009, it was right around when yep. um, there was recovery because there was also an economic disaster. Yep. And so a lot of the data sets that I worked on were around like the impact of trade on the U.S. workforce and like things, you know, related to that and eventually got into regulations that were around like the data and then mm. i realized that regulations are terrible because all you do is talk to lawyers all day which by the way if you're listening and you're a lawyer i don't implicitly dislike you it's just a frustrating <laughs> process, um that i realized i don't have the patience for and so um that's sort of a shift right to move from like being like behind the monitor and looking at numbers to like actually having to interact with humans which i think was a skill that i didn't necessarily have very well but um you know when they launched the tact program they were looking for someone who sort of understood the mechanics of um why trade adjustment assistance right and so for those right. of you who don't know trade adjustment assistance says like as the economy shifts right so as um as products are ex created um, I guess, in foreign countries or as skills are imported or as things are imported and the domestic workforce loses out, then the government should step in and help the workers whose jobs are lost um, mm -hmm. find new training, right? So the entire, so the TAA program, the Trade Adjustment System Assistance Trade Adjustment Assistance Program is actually for, for the longest time was like the Cadillac of um, retraining programs because not only did you get, if your job was trade impacted, right? So like if you worked for a company and they decided instead of manufacturing a particular part um, in the US, um, they would manufacture it overseas, then you could get benefits that included things like, um, you could get um, the equivalent of unemployment insurance while you were in school. And mm -hmm. while you were in that training program that the government paid for, you could also get additional benefits. And it included That's things true. like an extension of health and you know a number of other things. So. Yeah. I think it was like the grandfather of the most comprehensive package you could get. Right. Um, but it was difficult because you, it ha was actually only for people whose jobs were impacted by trade. Right. So when they expanded it to um, this grant program, it was really interesting. They needed someone to like actually administer the program. And so that was how I like got into the world where I interact with humans and talk to people about um, how to develop programs and started, I guess, the road and then you know because we worked with so many community colleges i think by the end of it um over 60 or 70 percent of community colleges in the united states were my grantees at some point or the other um yeah. i think people thought i knew a little bit about education and so i ended up at the department of ed i think you might have picked up a lot about education and i'm still floored that you did you you felt like you didn't have the people skills because i'm like knowing you today <laughs> and how easy it is to talk to you i'm like i just can't imagine that <laughs> Well, I had a really interesting conversation. This is a very pivotal conversation that I had in my life. It was probably the first time um, that I did anything that wasn't like a recorded webinar that was like, here are all the rules that you have to follow to be like a responsible grantee. 
um, it was like someone had invited my boss's boss to speak and to give a presentation and update at this meeting. And like nobody could, cause she didn't go. And then like my supervisor, he couldn't go. And so I'm like sloppy thirds, right? <laughs> and I'm like super nervous. So like I type out like what I'm going to say, I'm only required to talk for 10 minutes. It's like a, an update. It has bullet points on all the data points yes. of like how, how many grants, the dollars spent, like it's all the like details that I care about. Um, from my spreadsheets, right, that I had made. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, and then I was like, well, am I required to go to this networking happy hour? Like, how many, like, minutes am I required to be at this place? <laughs> and and I actually even asked my boss at the time, I was like, well, can I have a small stack of your business cards? Because what's going to happen is people are going to want to, like, socialize and talk. And what I would love to do is give your business card out and say, like, the person you should talk to is, like, my boss, who's, like, manages, like, all of this. Yeah. Um, and you should get, he's unable to be here today. You should get in touch with him at a later time. And I think he like said something to me, like, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> and he said something that I just still remember today. He was like, you know, people like think the government is this like mysterious thing, right? They see the buildings, right? They're frustrated when they're at the DMV. Um, and he was like, you should think about your role, like in the public as being two things. Like you should be in like you should be knowledgeable about the subject area that you're responsible for yeah. and you should be approachable. Um, and he's like, you're I very knowledgeable. That. You're not approachable all the time. And yeah. I was like, Oh, ouch. Um, so, and he was it like, you know, hurts when you first hear it, but it's like, yes, you remembered it now. And it's like sage advice. It is because it wasn't like, he's like, these are not people that you're going to invite to your home for like, your birthday party or anything. These are relationships that the department needs to have in order to be more effective at serving the public, right? So you have to engage the public and you have to understand them and hear them and they have to feel like they can come and talk to you. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, that's like really hard. <laughs> but then you got to flex your muscles on, you know, practicing that. And it sounds like you just had to do that right away at that networking event. <laughs> Well, I cheated, right? So like I looked down the list of who's going to be there and I like thought about like one thing that I would, I feel like I could talk about with like all the people on the list. Like it wasn't like a huge list or anything like that. And so I think that like, you know, this is an example of a skill I think that I didn't naturally have. And I sort of cheated like a lot of times, like I love getting the who's coming to a conference thing because yes. I, it lists yeah because then I can say like I can mentally prepare myself I can be like oh Kelly's gonna be there I'm gonna ask her about like you know what MZ is up to because right. you all just published a report so I want to know about that and I'll like write myself notes and the first few times like at that meeting and then at probably like every meeting that year I actually like brought a crib sheet with me and <gasps> I I would say things like if I would have met you that first year that I ever had to be in public I would have been like Kelly you work for MZ and then I would like look you up on my list and I would be like oh Kelly I read this report and here's my question for you. And it was so yeah. awkward and unnatural, but anyway, no, I mean, power it's, through. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fantastic way. I actually really love that you're sharing this because for people that just think, I mean, especially when anyone looks at maybe even sort of the platforms that we're on now, right. And they might mm -hmm. come and see something that we speak at and they're like, Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to share my thing to share. And like, I was the shyest child you would ever meet. Like up until I went to college, if I had to speak in front of an audience in front of my classroom, that was my only experience yeah. at the time, I would turn bright red from like here to mm -hmm. here, um, my full body. And I mean like really, really red. And I would stammer and I would have a really hard time 
Um, so the funny thing is, is that I very much like you did the exact same thing. So, mm -hmm. and I still do to this day, I'm sitting here with a piece of paper and I don't, I'm not reading from this, but it's like my prep. So yes. I would prep like whatever it was that I wanted in my, <laughs> yeah, whatever it was that I wanted in my yeah. head, I would, I would just put out there. It doesn't come out of my mouth all the same, but that's how I, and even in some of those early ones where I'd be up on a podium in front of it, I'd be like holding <laughs> onto the podium, like, oh. <laughs> but I had my notes and it's okay. If anyone's seen me on stage now, they'll still notice I typically have a notebook or a piece of paper with me at all times. It's just like almost like a safety blanket. Um, but I did the same thing with the lists of people and I would have like my little things. I would look them up ahead of time because I was mm -hmm. so nervous, like yeah. deathly nervous. So this is great to share with everyone that now sees us as we are. You know, if you're one of those people that is shy or feeling like you can't put mm -hmm. yourself out there, that is actually a learned skill. <laughs> you can yes. learn it. Yes. Yes. So sorry to interrupt your story, but no, 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 that's, so that's not. So, so you're involved where we are. Yeah. You're involved with tax. Like that's where mm -hmm. you got us off. Obviously people were like, now, you know, stuff about education. <laughs> so where did that, so that's where, it, what led you to the department of ed? Is that the next transition that you need in your, yeah. your sort um, of and I'll say, career path? <laughs> something like, so I'll say one other thing about learning about education, which um, is a little embarrassing. And is that like, or not embarrassing. This is like the other part of the like have a list and a spreadsheet is like mm -hmm. ask people questions because mm -hmm. um, like there are so many people that I interact with right now. Um, and I say this to her all the time. So I'm, I'm going to totally call her out. So like Casey Sachs is our deputy assistant secretary yeah. of community colleges yeah. right now. Um, she was a, a grantee when she was at the Colorado Community College System. She was my first round grantee. Mm -hmm. And I asked her and a lot of her colleagues in that first round of like tech. So if you're like a tech one grantee, thank you. Like I asked them a lot of really ridiculous questions. Like I would look at, so I'm like very like, my default is like, what does the spreadsheet say about like, what do the numbers sh show right. on the spreadsheet? And I would look and it would be like um, enrolled zero students in the first quarter, right, of the, of the first year. And then the note would be like, didn't receive state authorization or haven't been accredited for this program. Uh -huh. And I would be like, why not? What can we do to fix this? Right? right. And then I would call them up and I would be like, I don't understand why you're not accredited yet. Or I don't understand why you need state authorization for this. Yeah. And then I think that like, maybe like, because we were on the telephone and not on Zoom, they would silently roll their eyes. But then someone would be like, here, read this. This is like how accreditation works in the United States. And I would say like, wow, that's like super complicated. Right? Um, yeah. And it takes time. So yeah, I guess it's okay that your numbers are low if that hasn't happened. Right. So anyway, um, it was like really important context. And I felt like um, I learned a lot from just people who were very patient with me and explained it to me. Yeah. Um, but I think I, it's a really good yeah. point because even like when, especially when you're not sure, um, you know, what necessarily to approach a person, a person with yeah. asking questions about them. Like I, I cannot, I, I was actually talking with one of my colleagues about this the other day, who's a little younger, you know, and, and still unsure of how to build a network. And I was like, he, his idea was he wanted to cold reach out to someone because he'd read their article and he was, yeah, and, and he it. found something interesting in the article. And I was like, do you know how excited someone would be to hear yes. that someone number one read, read it. <laughs> and then they, they actually like found it helpful and insightful and had thoughts. I was like, it's a home run. Yes. Like, go do it. <laughs> People love to be asked questions about themselves. So it's a really good point yeah. that you stopped on there. <laughs>
no, it's great. And you, I mean, I encourage um, like interns that work for me and fellows and all of that. Like if you read something that you like, you should stalk the person like relentlessly, because I think that's a great way to just also keep in touch with like a field that you're interested in. Exactly. No, I, I love that. I mean, you I, now it's, this is why I laugh when I hear these things because I don't mean to be, <laughs> like, I'm just laughing because number one, I have a lot of similarities in the way I am yeah. too, but I'm like, to know you now today and to think that yeah. you had, it's, it's just amazing. <laughs> so I got to Ed because I actually got, I was part of, um, you know, one of those like programs that they have like career development programs and okay. I needed to do it. I needed to do some time. I called it like doing time. It's unfortunate. It was a detail outside of the agency to get exposure. Okay. Um, and I was running out of time. And so I just contacted my friends at Ed and I said, you know, the Department of Labor will continue to pay me. Um, so can I just sit like in your, in like in your space for a little while? So the person I stalked at the time was like Richard Collada, who's the the director yeah. of the office of ed tech and so yeah. i said just like let me come hang out you know i know that you don't do like a lot of higher ed stuff but i'm a higher ed person and so like maybe we could do some higher ed at no et right. and so i think he let me come over um and then i just um and i think we decided that there was actually a lot to be done in understanding the role of technology in post-secondary education mm -hmm. um, and they didn't have a person doing it and so like i just made up my job that's amazing. And how long have you been in this job now? Um, it will be about, I've been in it for um, like four and a half years. Wow. That, that no, was four years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is fast. Although this year yes. feels like 10 years, but you know. This year, yes. <laughs> it's like forever. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, uh, but we could talk about that forever. Um, <laughs> yes. We won't go there. Uh, no, but I, I, I love, like, I actually even love how you describe that you just were sort of like, I, I call what you said stalking. My like PC way to say that is pleasantly <laughs> persistent. Okay. <laughs> someone, okay. someone called me that or, like early on in my career uh -huh. when I was basically stalking <laughs> and they were like, wow, you're so pleasantly persistent. I was like, that is a wonderful <laughs> way to say that I'm annoying you. Um, but you know, in, in all, it, it's really a way to kind of get an opportunity, right? So it's, if I think this is really great because there's something that you wanted to do and you just didn't give up. I find that sort of like persistence to be really fascinating. And, um, I mean, obviously the work now that you're doing yeah. here, um, it all totally paid off and it's just amazing that yeah. you asked, like, can I come sit in your office? <laughs> desperate times. <laughs> it happens. Um, and and yeah. it's great. It's great that you took that opportunity. So well, I think though this is a really interesting point, right? Because I feel like I, you and I, and then some, some people that we know are probably in a very small minority of people that have the opportunity to do this. Right. So like, you know, I had, I had connections. Um, I knew people, right. These right. are people that were in my social network already, um, or my right. professional social network. And so I could approach them. Um, I can't imagine, um, how to do this if that wasn't true. Right. And, so true. um, I feel like there are probably a lot of people that are way smarter than me that could do my job way better than I do, but they just never get a chance because like, first of all, like they don't, so I felt pressure to get this like detail done because like yeah. I was going to be in big trouble if I didn't like hit this requirement. Right. And so I had to call around and just be like, I have like 
one week to like state where I'm going. Right. What do I do? Um, And so the time pressure, but also like people just don't know that they can do this. Right. And this is something that um, I like to tell people as well is like, if you see something that you want, you should like just pursue it and you should just go after it because you know everything else I mean I am like the most insecure person in the world but you know I I was forced by circumstances to actually have to get get over that and do it I just think that there are so many people without a social network to support them in doing this um, and that don't have the connections and I don't know how to fix that right obviously I mean you guys this is our universal problem and so Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky in the sense that like yes I'm probably a stalker and or pleasantly persistent. Um, (laughs) But it actually was successful, not because of anything that I did, I think, but because I am in in a circumstance that allows this kind of behavior to be rewarded. Right. Well, you know, I wonder too, like if I think back to my early days before I had a network, um, I, you know, I didn't, I'm trying to even think back, you know, my, my parents didn't even have the ability to introduce me to anyone. And not Mm -hmm. that I was living in any unfortunate circumstances, you know, in the whole scheme of things. Um, I wasn't super well off or anything, but, um, they didn't have the types of jobs that had potential connections for me. I mean, they tried, it just didn't work out. So what I can say for someone that just didn't necessarily have anyone to rely on in those early stages I just went out there and asked for mm-hmm. it. And I would, I was that person, just like you said, like I would book, and this is maybe before the time, you know, we can't do this right now, but I would walk into people's offices and I would be like, no, I'll just wait till they're free. And I would wait for like 12 <laughs> yes, hours. Yes. Like I would sit there and they'd yeah. be like, well, finally we need to let her in because, you know, and these were like high security offices in New York city. I was like, nope, I'm, I'll wait. I want to meet with this CEO. Like, it's fine. Um, so, but I was nice yeah. about it. Like that is the one thing mm-hmm. I was nice about it. And I always tried to figure out like what I could do to help them and make mm-hmm. it valuable, like mutually beneficial. Right. So there, and there were plenty of times that I offered volunteer volunteered yep. myself to get in doing something, you know, or worked for free, like whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so even I, I do have to say, and again, I realize everyone has a different situation going on, but I would not, that the power of that, you know, just mm-hmm. being persistent in that way and getting yes. over your fear, because I agree with you. Like I have had plenty of moments of insecurity. Um, I, I fear is constantly, that was always there. And I was just like, Nope, I'm not going to listen, like push that back down <laughs> and I'm just going to go for it. And it's the only way to find out. And everyone at some point has to start yep. building it. The stuff you and I do today, these networks that we have now, we did not, that wasn't, didn't happen years ago. I mean, that, this took time. <laughs> Absolutely. So I love that you said that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> So, so now, you know, we've, we've actually throughout this, I normally like, yeah. filter, I was telling you, I'll, I'm going to filter in questions about skills, okay. but we really hit on a lot of skills that have led to sort of success for you. But what I'm interested in is I've heard a lot about what you've learned sort of going through at work, um, <laughs> in terms of skills. Do you, and, and obviously we're sitting here today, um, both being very passionate about education and you know, what that can, what opportunities that can offer you. So I'm curious how you feel in terms of skills. Like, is this a combo between work, life, learning, how you build skills? 
park ranging activities. <laughs> park ranging activities. Um, yeah, I mean, so I plan my park ranging activities um, on a spreadsheet, just like I plan all of my work projects on a spreadsheet. So I feel like there's some characteristics about like just some personality quirks that are very consistent. Yeah. Um, oh, this is so embarrassing. So when I plan like a like a hiking trip, I have yeah. like a multi tab spreadsheet where I like even like I weigh my gear and I count the number of calories and I weigh the food that I bring. And so it's sort of like um, I'm all in on this, like have a spreadsheet, like thing in my I life. I love it. So, no, this is not, everyone has their thing. Like, this is awesome. Um, so I guess that is my main thing. Um, but I also feel like um, something that I, I read a book like a million years ago and um, I don't remember loving the book, but I like, I remember one thing out of it. Right. Okay. So I read a book um, a million years ago called um, So Good They Can't Ignore You. Right. And it's like a career development book. But the, re the thing I remember about it is like, um, I can't remember the name of the author, but I'm sure Google knows. Um, I'm going to look it up. And when I post this. Yeah. I'll yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, well, I don't know if this is a recommendation or not. So they, the premise of the book is like um, pursuing a passion is, is um, not the right way to build a career. Um, and so the book, I think, talks about how, like, people who really love, like, baking cookies often find that they can't manage a bakery, right? Because right. there are, like, a whole set of skills that are right. involved in, like, restaurant management that are not, not baking, yes. right? And so um, he talks about, in the book, like, people who are really good at something or have really interesting careers or do interesting things do it by um, building expertise, um, in things, right? And then using the expertise that they have to leverage more and more control, right? So okay. I think that's like a good summary of the book. Uh, if I get it wrong and the author's mad, whatever. Um, so that's what I got away from it. And the reason I liked it is because it sort of was different to me than like everything else that I had read, which is like find the color of your parachute or, um, you know, what is your passion? And like the thing is, I'm not like, um, like, oh, I have a passion for X, Y, and Z, right? Um, I like, I'm very like, um, I guess I, I like to do things like that are like tangible, right? With like hands. Yeah. And so like, it's hard for me to be like, I'm super passionate about like the earth or, you know, it's, I don't know. Um, right. It's like, not like that. It's like an athletic event for me that I like right. train for like my running. Right. Yeah. So there are like all these things that like really resonated with me about like versus like pursuing a passion, just like, Oh, well, you know, I understand this because I'm Asian, I'm an Asian kid. And so what that means is like, I practiced the violin when I was little and I like, you know, did my math homework and like I did extracurricular math homework that was assigned by my parents and not my teachers. And, you know, there was all this like you have to like practice like that was sort of like the drill. Nice. And like, that resonated with me because I'm like, you know, I actually know how to study and I know mm -hmm. how to like learn something because like my parents taught me, um, you know, all of these things. Right. Yes. So like, why would that not be true about my job? So I was, you know, all the sort of common thread for me was I did a lot of like data work that was like cleaning data is so like I don't know it's so like boring and it's like on a spreadsheet and you just click and it's like it's mundane but you know you can get really good at data and then you can yes. understand how it works and so I'm like well you know when I was in grad school that was my job I cleaned data for people like data uh -huh. sets for people and then you know that happens right and then you can get another job where like you don't maybe clean the data sets but you maybe get to like be the interpreter of the data and then right. like, you know, suddenly you're the regulation writer on the formula, but that's like a whole other thing. But, you know, it's sort of like you can actually leverage 
like your increased expertise in a specific skill to do right. more interesting things. So um, I don't work on data now, but I feel like I understand it. And so when we have a conversation about like, why is it important? Like, what are the necessary components for an interoperable digital credential? And, right. and, and how do you teach people what is linked open data? Um, I think you and I had a conversation about this. Um, so we have been working a lot in the department about thinking about like, how do we um, not only give people a credential um, for the, the programs that we fund, but make that credential meaningful and help them get a job, right? So yep. we can't control how employers behave, but we right. know that there is an initially, I think, um, a language barrier between how the department, like the education folks mm -hmm. say, like what people can do when they finish and what employers say they need. And so what if we like enforced the digital credentialing, the interoperability um, aspect to some of exactly. um, these credentials? But then it's sort of like, it's actually very complex. In theory, it's very simple. You right. know, you want to have a, a credential describe what a person that has the credential can do. But then you have like these second order problems, right? So, well, is everyone describing them the same way, right? right. Or if, are you, are you recording the, the information then in a, in a way that like the format can be received by others, right? These are the huge technical problems that you all work on that like many exactly. other organizations. It's like the on. underlying way at the surface yes. level. It's like, why isn't it done already? <laughs> yes. Like make it a thing. Like I still remember like in 2000, like way back when tact oh. was first a thing, yeah. like people talked about it, right? Yes. Better aligning employers and educators and training by right. using skills-based licensure and credentialing. Like exactly. this was a huge talking point and yep. we desperately wanted to align the education data with the workforce data. Mm -hmm. It kept being really hard. And it kept being really hard because of underlying data structures being, you know, really difficult because of the technology that was available at the time. Um, yep. There were not as many mature open data standards. Um, there were not people working on um, platforms that allowed you to like, there were no open APIs. No. Nope. And there were like all the processes around all of that. That was like that in and of itself. <laughs> it was manual and it depended on like me knowing you and then you convincing your lawyer to sign an agreement with my lawyer that it would be okay for us to share because this idea of sharing the data across silos was also like from a policy perspective new oh yeah, um, yeah. so you know so like i was like thinking about like what we could talk about um and i was thinking you know like some of these so when you said t over 10 years i think i wrote that talking point for you because it makes me feel really old um <laughs> but i was thinking like way back when these were all just like ideas and little baby projects that yeah. have like grown up a lot yeah um, i mean over let's the last dive few into years. that though too because there are some really amazing things that you're working on right now i'm just gonna yeah. like i know this you know there, we've got the education blockchains and you've got this new innovation challenge that what was announced today that was today right yes. and yes. then the 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 new it was interoperable learning record now called learning and employment record that stuff mm -hmm. Um, yes. And then, of course, like the CARES Act grants have come out, which everyone is really excited about um, because of obviously what's happening in this time. And, you know, I can remember back, you know, back with the TACT grants when we were going through that recovery period yeah. and how important that was. So I know this time to get people resources that they need is super important, but there's so many wonderful things that you've got going on. Like, we'd, I'd love to hear more. <laughs> Um, I don't even know where to start. So today we announced the blockchain innovation challenge. And so what we want people to do is use blockchains to think about how to empower individuals. Um, and so why we are interested in blockchains, um, a couple of reasons, right? So first of all, this isn't us endorsing like Bitcoin, although Bitcoin went pretty high a few weeks ago and I like was regretting not being more aggressive in my investment. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, blockchain technology has some really interesting characteristics, and we've made some videos on the Office of EdTech website about it. Um, but essentially what it does is it allows individuals to have access and control over their data. Um, and, you know, aside from like the language barrier that we just talked about, there's a huge problem where um, if I wanted to transfer schools or if I'm a student who took classes just at like three of the community colleges around me, my next step is even more difficult because I have to find the transcripts, which are the verified records that I know the things that I know. Um, and my, my next destination, whether it's an employer or another educational institution, they have to decide whether that's good enough, right? Mm -hmm. And then, but they don't know. They're making decisions based on the information I provide them, like a syllabus or something like that. But right. they don't know, but they're not asking me what my skills are. They're asking the syllabus, like what was, like read, right. what I read. Um, and, you know, there's, it's an imperfect process. And if I worked a little bit, I might be able to do a prior learning assessment. Or right. if I had like some sort of um, apprenticeship that might be recorded, but all of the things that I know, it's very difficult to record them and have access to them in one place. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that this is a really interesting, like, could there be a technology infrastructure that's very different that instead of preserving all of the data in individual silos that you query every single time at some cost, um, could it be that an individual always has access to their um, set of data that describes them and could they be the arbiters of who gets access next um, so people query it. them yeah um, so that is one thing that we're really interested in and when we published um, we had some we worked with the American Council on Education and they published a report in June it was really interesting some of the observations um, about how blockchain has been used mm -hmm. specifically for that um, and it was mostly an acknowledgement that the education and employment ecosystem is very complex and it's based on a strong networks of relationships because, you know, institutions exist in silos. And I think that um, I don't want people to, to misunderstand. I actually think silos are good. They protect you. Mm -hmm. um, there are some privacy considerations and you don't want your data just out in the universe. We know what happens when that kind of stuff goes down. Yeah. Um, so you want there to be protection and you want accountability, most importantly, right? So if something happens bad to your data and it's leaked, you want someone to be, have to answer for that. And that's why we sometimes have these structures, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, but when we want to actually put this, a person at the center, we have to figure out how to break down those silos or make them a little bit like responsibly porous, right? So preserve mm -hmm. privacy, protect the individual, but give them full access so that they feel like they have control over their next step. And yeah. a lot of the ecosystem, pro the blockchain projects were that they supported a different kind of ecosystem, a way of actually in exchanging that data whilst preserving the individual's sort of agency at the center. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is what we want people to explore. So we we want people to think about what is the ecosystem problem, right? And how do we solve it for the person that's traditionally not well served? So if, you know, you know, MIT obviously was the first, they were like, hey, we have our um, diplomas on a blockchain. And you're like, congratulations, because an engineer from MIT wouldn't get a job otherwise, right? right so it's, right. but you need someone to go first to test out the technology. And I, yeah. and I love the people that work on it. This is me making fun of them. But, um, you know, what about like the working mom, right? Like, how is right. she going to like figure out how to, how to like navigate her new blockchain wallet or even the 30 million adults who are not digitally literate what are they going to do okay. right like the whole point of connecting skills um, and um, education is that we want to provide economic opportunity for those people and especially now there's something like 40 million newly unemployed americans and it's crazy um so how do we get them rapidly retrained or how do we 
help them communicate the skills that they do have so yeah. that they can find another opportunity. So um, we're hoping people will demonstrate how they will support the ecosystem to provide mobility, especially for underserved populations. Um, and we do also want to, again, enforce the interoperability. So we have published a short white paper on education blockchain interoperability of the standards that we hope people will use so that um, across the projects, we can yeah. see some interoperability of records. Yeah, and I'll make sure that when I post this podcast, I'll include all of that and how to um, to actually apply for the, yeah. the challenge and everything like that, because it's a great opportunity. Um, I think more people, you know, hopefully a lot of people will share it along with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's like one of the main projects, um, but it has the interoperability element, which is a lot of what, you know, the other projects are, which, again, you know, there has been so much um, progress over the last few years in this area. It's just been amazing. Yeah, um, I think um, without getting super nerdy, you know, like people using, uh, you know, like Acro adopting the CLR standard mm -hmm. or the W3C verifiable credentials um, becoming like mature in that version that like people generally use or yeah. just even the work that groups like T3 that you guys are doing, putting like skills, making them open. Um, there's, there's, I think enough momentum for us to start tying these all together comprehensively. Mm -hmm. um, so we tried to do that a little bit um, by making it a requirement for the reimagining workforce grants um, in the CARES that. Act. Yeah. Um, I, it's been interesting. Um, I think that you probably do this, way better and more than I do, but explain to people who have not previously been introduced to like watch to this world of interoperability and data models, like yeah. helping um, people understand like how to implement this or how to do this. Um, and um, trying to make it make them, I guess, assured that this isn't something that's be like that they're not capable of doing because it right. seems very technically diff difficult um, because we're using words like data models which like to people that don't listen to this podcast know what that means like I don't know right no I mean it is it, it can be overwhelming for some but in all honesty it makes life for your students and the purpose right the the purpose your student success being a job <laughs> yeah. I would hope so um, not only completion but um, it makes it so much better for them, you know, and there, and, and honestly, it seems like it's a lot, but it's, it's not actually as complex as one would think. So yeah. are, have you been getting a lot of questions about that? Um, I think we got a lot of what is this questions. Is um, and okay. so we have been working on how to help people sort of introduce, how to introduce people into it slowly. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that is difficult to communicate to people that are your grantees or your stakeholders is like this is different than how we've traditionally done things but it's also not right because you've always issued some kind of credential that says this person has done a course right this, this is just representing that information in a different way um, right. and it is maybe like um, a new technical process that might cost something but this is why we have federal grants right, right. to exactly. um, help you over that initial hump um, and this is why we have technical assistance resources. Um, we have staff that can help you, or we can have staff that points to people, other people that can help you. Um, exactly. So and I know you guys, you yeah. guys hosted a webinar, right? Just like just describing yes. the CARES Act grants. I'll have to make sure that I get the link from you so that I can put that in when I post this as well, just for anyone that didn't get a chance to catch it or still has questions. Um, and of course, if there, if there are more questions around the interoperable, piece of it, you know, we can always 
figure out who, you know, if it's you or other people that might be able to kind of put together like yeah. a little webinar for anyone that needs some help. But it's really exciting. Um, and the other sort of related work that um, we're, some of us are part of is the learning and employment records project that is that is that the right the acronym? Yes, it's the new um, one. No, it's so hard to keep up with the name changes and yes. the acronyms. There are um, projects that other people, not myself. Um, so I have the pleasure of telling you about other people's work, and it like is really fun because I, on one hand it's like really exciting what other people are doing, but on the other hand I feel like oh I'm kind of lazy. I just don't actually do any of these projects myself. But oh my um, gosh, stop! <laughs> You're like the busiest person I know. <laughs> Um, so th there are some pilot projects, um, uh -huh. and um, the the working group is working on, um, I think, another paper that will sort of show the progress of oh, those good. projects. Which they're really exciting projects. They're yeah. um, partnerships between that between groups that are part of the Workforce Policy Advisory Board. So the Workdays, yep. the Salesforce's, IBM's, um, WGU, a number of other organizations as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think you guys are maybe part of one of the projects too. We are, yeah. Uh, and, and, and it'll be just interesting because you do want to tie together the ecosystem, which is the point, right? So, yes. you know, educational institutions can describe their credentials differently, but if employers in their applicant tracking systems right. or in their hiring information systems can't ingest the information or commit to, because it's a business process change for them as well. Um, mm -hmm. so. It completely is. I was just actually on the phone with the group that's doing the community college growth fund, and we were li literally this yeah. morning just having the same discussion because we were like, but mm -hmm. if the employers are not willing to hire these people, that's like, Yes, the whole purpose and how do we do that? <laughs> yes, and so one of the exciting things too is you're st we're starting to um, collaborate more or we, we have another point of collaboration with our colleagues at the Department of Labor when they do their Good. workforce and employment training grants. Yeah, um, they're also starting to include them. Um, this requirement for digital interoperable credentials um, and we're wonderful. starting to think about how we can sort of as a whole federal government have a concerted effort to um, communicate the importance of this and to invest in it. Yeah, and I feel like now, I'm sure you agree, it's it's just so interesting. It's like now's the time we keep talking about, and I mean, we joke yeah. that this time is so hard and all of that, but in, in all honesty, it's such a great opportunity. You know, we look, we look back to, you know, we've both been a part of the, the last economic crisis, the mm -hmm. fallout in 2008 and, and the recovery of that. And if we look back at sort of like the impact that happened, and again, it, it felt yeah. not, you know, while you were in it, you didn't necessarily feel how fast things were moving. Yes. But now when we look back, I mean, that was such a short period of time and such a burst. And we have that opportunity now to really jump ahead so much further than we would have if we weren't presented with this challenge. I think that's true because I remember like way back when people were like, are you sure you want to force people? Are you sure you want to target investment to like more online modules like like online career and technical trading? That's like new or like I remember the first um, I think it was a Lumina funded report on like the CBE landscape when they were like under like 100 CBE programs yep. and, and people were all a little skeptical about like, you know, it was the, it, it's a great idea. Can it actually work in reality? Can people get accredited for it? Right. Um, and then there was simultaneously investments. There were um, Department of Ed, um, I guess, experimental sites where the nice. regulatory flexibilities were um, extended and, you know, suddenly we have CBE programs and people understand what a competency is now, I think. 
Exactly. I mean, I think we all hope, right? But um, it's, it's come so far. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is just one of those moments where we're going to look back in a few years and, and see, wow, this was just like rapid inv- advancement. And it felt uncomfortable at first, but, <laughs> but here we are. Yeah. yeah at least that's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> we will get through this. I think we will get through this. Yeah, I, I we definitely can, will. The human race is very resilient. Yes, I completely agree. Well, Sharon, we're coming up on the end of our time here. And I always like to ask this open-ended question, which you can answer any which way that you like, but is there some last parting words you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, I I should have prepared better for this. Um, So I guess I will make an offer on behalf of the Department of Education. Um, So I feel like you're going to also post my contact information. Um, I feel like we're always, as a team, trying to figure out how we can best understand um, the needs of our stakeholders and how to serve um, the people that we are meant to better. So um, please reach out to me if you have questions about any of the things that I said that are, I think, marginally work-related. Um, I, I can't, like, if you want to hire me and you work for the National Park Service, I'm available. I was going to say, if you want to hire time. me, obviously <laughs> wants to hear from you. <laughs> I do. Absolutely want to hear from you. Um, right. But if I you want to build a credentialing platform. That these badges. <laughs> right. They mean something. For this job. <laughs> But tell me how, like, tell us how we can support um, the work that you all are doing in skills and credentialing better, um, whether it's, you know, programs, you didn't understand our requirements, requirements you think we should have, um, or if you just want to tell us about some of the projects that you're working on that are just really great that you think we can help you um, amplify, then let us know. So definitely just everyone reach out to me. Now that I know that I'm supposed to be approachable, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) And she is 100% approachable. I can guarantee that. (laughs) No, thank you so much for that offer, Sharon. I know um, there will be plenty of people that take you up on that. So for you guys that are looking to reach out to Sharon, I'll post this all in there, but she is also available on LinkedIn um, at Sharon Liu, that's L-E-U, and on Twitter at The Sharon Liu, which by the way, I just completely love that handle. I was like, maybe I could change mine, The. (laughs) I love it. Um, But you guys, thank you so much for listening in to this episode of Let's Talk About Skilled Baby. If you enjoyed the podcast, please um, jump on one of the platforms that it's available on, iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube, subscribe, leave some feedback, leave a rating. I would really appreciate it. And if you want to follow me, I am available on all of the socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Kelly Ryan Bailey. Thank you all again, and I hope you have a wonderful day.